So you drafted a fantasy football team. Big deal. Ooh, Ooh wow. Oh. Good job. Drafting is only half the battle. A month from now, you're going to wake up, check your team, and see that your three best players are hurt. Now what? You need to play the waivers, make trades, know who to start. And that's what we're here for. We're coming to you four times a week during the regular season to give you everything you need to win your league and dominate your group chat. Search for the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello and welcome. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Joining me today are Ringer staff writer Zach Cram. Say hello, Zach. Hello. And newly minted Ringer senior editor, Ben Lindbergh. <laughs> hello. Say hello, boss man. Yes, hi. You know, I think it's it's appropriate that you got this promotion so you can represent management uh, yep. as Major League Baseball heads into... Um, heads into its its fairly contentious CBA negotiations, which we're going to touch on a little later in the show. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on on a very well-deserved uh, promotion, and uh, I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of your career being a shill for capital. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have a management presence, just so, you know, Rob Manfred and, and the owner's interests can be represented when we discuss the CBA. And now that I'm a senior editor, I, I hope I can pull rank and get Bobby to edit out any good points you make on the podcast to make That's myself sound smarter. That's not how this works. <laughs> I, I have assurances from the other Ben in uh, in Ringer Management that I don't have to report directly to you. No, that, that is would, true. Has he just been making so many good points that you felt like I you need to ask me to edit them out? Because I haven't been hearing those. <laughs> not saying I would need to exercise that power very often. We're going to... Uh, Head into uh, a story that is ripped from the headlines of the world of soccer. Uh, so some 15 years ago, there was a movie that came out called Goal, which is about the story of a young Mexican soccer player named Santiago Munez, who is recruited to play uh, for Newcastle United in the English Premier League. And soccer is uh, wrapping up its its transfer deadline as their trade deadline, their equivalent of that. And the real life Newcastle United has signed a Mexican player named Santiago Munez, which leads me to the following question. If there were an opportunity to have a fictional baseball player play out their real life career in contemporary major league baseball, which player would you choose? And we'll start with Zach. So I think the the answer that came to mind first is kind of obvious, which is Ginny Baker, bring back pitch, yeah. just because of how cool a story that would be. But if you move beyond Ginny Baker, um, a couple came to mind. I think uh, Stan Ross from the movie Mr. 3000, not because that movie was anything special, but because the premise would be amazing to follow from a journalistic perspective, a guy coming out of retirement after like a decade because he needs a couple more hits to reach the round number of 3,000, I think would be cool just to, to cover as a journalist. But the the answer I want to give is uh, Jimmy McNeil from the book The Box Seat Dream, which I can't imagine either of you have ever heard of because this book basically doesn't seem to exist online. It's kind of like, a you know, when you're not sure if something is a dream or not. But no, this is real life. I looked it up. It is a book I read when I was younger. Nobody else has heard of this book. It has all of two reviews That's right. on Goodreads. That is absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> its Amazon reviews are basically all two decades old, and I didn't even realize Amazon reviews went back to the year two thousand. But this is all the Amazon reviews for this book, and it is a uh, a young adult book about a kid growing up in the shadow of Yankee Stadium, and he 
uh, is gifted an old bleacher seat from like the old Yankee Stadium. And through this, the magic of this bleacher seat, he can communicate with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and other murderers row Yankees. And through communicating with them and receiving advice, he becomes a major league player. And obviously, if this were to be true in real life, that means magic would exist in the world. So that that's a pretty cool plus. But also, just like if tomorrow Andrew Velazquez called the press conference and said, yeah, so you know how I was a huge Yankees fan growing up? I actually got a magical seat from the old stadium that helped me reach the majors and play for the Yankees. I think we'd all be very interested in that story. How long, so would, Andrew, true. How, how long would Andrew Velazquez stay on the Yankees if he gave that press conference? I think forever. Like, <laughs> I guess there are two alternatives. One, they would cut him immediately, yeah. or they would keep him forever <laughs> because he has a magical connection to the Yankees of yore. So that is my answer, uh, Jimmy McNeil, from a book that nobody has ever heard of. <laughs> well, I guess I should go with someone people have heard of, probably. So maybe I'll choose a, a famous character. I'd like to see what Nuke Lelouch's career would look like, just because he was sort of, you know, loosely inspired by Steve Dalkowski, and we never got to see Steve Dalkowski make the majors, unfortunately. We know that Nuke makes the majors. We see him reciting the cliches, post-game cliches that he heard from Crash, but we don't really know how his career turned out. Is he able to conquer his control issues permanently? Does he set velocity records? I'd like him to come along in this era when we have pitch tracking and we could actually see how he stacks up fastball-wise and see if he actually has the longevity or is he just too hot-headed too likely to get in trouble, too likely to walk the ballpark. So it'd be nice to get an actual shot at seeing a Dalkowski kind of career at that level. I like that. My answer is uh, Henry Scrimshander from The Art of Fielding. I think that it's just a, a very fascinating player profile. It's he's described as like the best defensive shortstop who ever lived before, you know, before he gets the yips and all sorts of, of plot ensues. But uh, I'd be I would like to actually see him play. I think having not uh, seen that, obviously uh, adapted, uh, adapted for film or TV. Um, I think he would just be a fun player to watch and a fun as like a junior college uh, shortstop, possibly going in the first round uh, would be an interesting prospect profile. Uh, honorable mention um, some years ago when uh, I was writing for uh for Crashburn Alley at the the ESPN Sweet Spot Phillies blog, um, Eric Longenhagen was there too. He's now the lead prospect analyst at uh, at Fangraphs, and he wrote a scouting report for Merrill Hess from Signs, who famously hit the record longest home run, but also set a record for strikeouts. And this movie came out in I believe 2002, and that leads me to believe that that Merrill just came along at the wrong time. I think that that approach would be more acceptable in the modern minor leagues. And so I would like to see Merrill Hess dropped into the modern, modern minor leagues and see if maybe he makes the majors. If, uh, uh, if his style of play is more acceptable now than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. I can't be believe the new Joey Gallo. He could be. I can't believe you picked, Scrimshander, I thought about him and immediately crossed him off because wishing that Scrimshander's story... Because you thought story... nobody had read that book? No, because <laughs> if Scrimshander's story were real, then there would be a lot of really miserable people whose lives are actively being ruined because that's what happens in that book. Zach, I've got some bad news about actual baseball <laughs> in the real world. <laughs> You're just wishing into into being people who spend 500 pages getting progressively sadder. I don't know who you think you're podcasting with. Like we, Ben and I just did a whole blog post about boy genius. We're not happy people. So I don't, I don't know Mike what alternate Pitt. reality you're living in. Mike I want magic Baker, in my so. world. Yeah, that's right. That's how I know I'm, I'm even sadder than you are. I went for Julian Baker. Um, okay. Also, like this is the most celebrated work of literary fiction about college baseball. So I had to, to stump for that. I, another name on my list was uh, McReynolds from Everybody Wants Some because as much as we all love baseball fiction, I love college baseball fiction more. I had uh, right. Sylvester Codmeyer the third. I knew the you were. Go I knew list. somebody was going to go there. All right. So 
news today, we mentioned the tension between labor and capital, and that tension is coming to a head uh, in advance of the expiring CBA. One of the the major challenges, I think, for the sport is that the players are obviously unhappy with the way service time uh, impacts free agency or and how free agent spending is sort of disincent- uh, disincentivized by the current system. Um, and Major League Baseball has leaked a couple of proposals that would, I would say, alter that system. I don't know if if improve is uh, is the right word as currently constituted, but I think it's it's interesting uh, within the context of of trying something outside the box. So so let's talk about those briefly before we go to, to the uh, meat and potatoes of the show. The upshot is Major League Baseball proposed lowering the luxury tax threshold to $180 million in exchange for instituting a salary floor of $100 million and also changing the free agency system. Right now, it's uh, players hit free agency after six years of major league service time, which, as we've gone over a thousand times on the show, is a fraught system. The league's proposal was to tie free agency to age, making players free agents at 29 and a half years old. Uh, So this has it bears passing similarity to uh the system that they have in in the nhl for instance uh but i'm curious what you guys think about these is you know with the understanding that this is just the league painting out its its best case scenario that the union has has rejected uh this framework and this is a negotiation that's gonna uh you know it's it's gonna drag on for months and months and months but uh it's it's an interesting proposal that i think uh, is is worth talking about yeah, as the newly minted mouthpiece of management, I think these are both brilliant proposals. Well done, <laughs> Mr. Manfred. Now, I think that there are parts of this that possibly could be springboards to actual policies that might work, but it really depends on whether there is bargaining room here, whether MLB put this out as kind of a final offer or whether this is just an opening offer, because I think both of these are non-starters in their current condition. I mean, The idea of having a salary floor could make sense, would make sense in some contexts. But I think if you also lower the ceiling and you have a pretty small gap between the floor and the ceiling, that's just not going to work. I mean, if you just kind of break down the math of the teams that are below that salary floor that they're proposing, as opposed to above where the luxury tax threshold would be, then you know that there would save the owner's money on on the whole, just because we know that where the luxury tax threshold is now, teams have kind of treating that as a, a soft cap, in some cases, a pretty hard cap. And presumably they would continue to do that even if you lowered it to where that competitive balance tax threshold was years and years ago. So that I think would save the owner some money, but the idea of a salary floor has some merit potentially. And I think you see something similar with tying free agency to age That could work. It could help end service time manipulation because if you know that you're going to be a free agent at a certain age, then there's no real incentive to hold someone back who's ready. But 29.5 is just too old. I mean, that's uh, teams are treating that as as ancient today. You know, teams are not paying for free agents over 30, and this is pretty close to 30. So, in some cases, like a college player who comes up, you know, that might be when they're hitting free agency anyway. But if you have some top prospect like a Bryce Harper or Juan Soto or someone like that who comes up at a very early age, they're going to be under team control for 10 years. So I think that's probably untenable. And I think that's especially true when you consider the really big contracts. I I think big contracts that haven't worked out have tended to be when players sign like a 12-year contract at the age of 30, and that takes them way past their prime. That's why the Albert Pujols contract didn't work out well for the Angels, the Miguel Cabrera extension with the Tigers, the Robinson Cano big contract, sort of the back half of that obviously hasn't worked out. So I think that's where teams run into problems, handing out $200, $300 million contracts. But the Fernando Tatis extension makes a lot of sense. The Mookie Betts extension, the Mike Trout extension, the Manny Machado and Bryce Harper contracts, those all make a lot more sense because then you still get players' prime years if the age were 29.5, as is this proposal, no team would sign any free agents for their prime years. So especially for those big contracts, you wouldn't 
be able to sign anything that would move the top of the market forward. So yeah, I think from that perspective, the age 29.5 proposal makes no sense. If it were 27, then theoretically, that could make a lot of sense for both sides. I'm not sure if management is willing to go that young, though. Yeah, I'll steal a point that uh, from Craig Goldstein of Baseball Prospectus that the players whose service time gets manipulated are the Wander Franco types, the ones who are going to uh, who, who would ordinarily reach free agency at like 26, where, like Zach said, they can ring the bell and nobody's going to bat an eye even now at giving them 10 million dollars or 10 years and, and 300 million dollars or more. Uh, and so. I don't hate the idea of tying uh, tying free agency to age. I mentioned the NHL. The rule there is, uh, I think it's seven NHL seasons or or age twenty seven, and there are um, mechanisms to have players hit free agency if they don't have enough requisite uh, time in the NHL. If they're if they're essentially being held in the minor leagues, and it, you know it's a different sport and it's a different minor league system, but I think. That's where the age would have to come in because it would incentivize teams to develop players faster, get these young stars to the majors. You know, how much, how, or how, how long was Vladimir Guerrero in the minors when he was ready? How long has Adley Rutschman been ready? You know, how, how long are we being deprived of, of the next generation of stars because it's just cheaper for, for teams to hold them down? And it just does, it doesn't, service the players, the fans, or the game. Uh, so I'll say this, both the salary floor and tying free agency to age make sense, but they're solutions to problems that have been created by ownership's bad faith interpretation of the existing rules. And the, these measures wouldn't be necessary if they just followed their own rules instead of figuring out things they could get away with. Uh, so that frustration continues, at least from my perspective. I don't want to speak for Ben anymore because he knows what side his bread is buttered on. But it's uh, it's that frustration continues, even though I think this I think we have to think outside the box because the way things are going just doesn't work for 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 anybody there. There's going to need to be some radical reimagining of the free agency system in order to make the transaction system and player development system work the way that makes the sport the best it can possibly be. Yeah. And we've still got a, a few months here until the CBA expires. And I don't right, know how much this is. This is just sort of throat clearing. I mean, these are initial offers or early economic offers. So it really depends. Like, are they willing to move on this? Is this just the opening salvo? And hey, we're willing to, you know, consider these frameworks, but we're willing to budge on where you actually set the upper or lower payroll bounds or where you set the age that would trigger free agency. I don't know. Like, as currently constructed, I'm sure that the Players Association would not be that receptive to this, but. If it is kind of just a, an opening, you know, just a start to the conversation that at least brings in these concepts that theoretically could work, then I guess that's a good sign. But a lot of this is just, you know, MLB tends to leak a lot of these things and we get half the picture and sometimes even that picture is pretty fuzzy and then it plays out in the press and sometimes you don't get the greatest coverage of these things. And ultimately, all that matters really is what happens at that bargaining table and probably what will happen in the last you know month or a few weeks as they get closer to crunch time. What gets horse traded to get the numbers to where both sides are comfortable with it. So this is, there are just so many moving pieces that even as we're, you know, we are in the last few months of the CBA, but there's still so much that needs to be determined. There are so many moving parts. Um, this is just, you know, it, it's an interesting hypothetical uh, hypothetical to consider. I mean, that's really all I view it as at this point. And I suppose it is uh, encouraging that these are more creative proposals than just sticking with the same framework we've had for mm. a number of CBAs at Which this is, point. Which is, screw you, you can't stop us from, from doing what we want. Yeah, And the current framework has not solved the problem, and I'm not sure like you can bandy about the numbers and try to install more mechanisms to prevent service time manipulation. But it's pretty clear that teams can get away with that at any point. If if the Chris Bryant grievance wasn't going to work, then, then I don't think anything will. So service time manipulation has been going on a very long time. Andrew McCutcheon, all the way back in 2009, conveniently debuted right after the Super 2 deadline. This has been going on for more than a decade, and there hasn't been any change to the underlying CBA mechanisms at work. So if these creative proposals lead to to 
better enforcement down the line, I think then it's good that MLB is proposing these to to try and come up with something different just because the status quo doesn't really work for anyone. Right. The worst thing that can come from floating this is we get what we have already. So I don't, I don't think there's any harm in trying to find a creative way uh, around this. Uh, I will say it probably says something about our own messed up values and way of approaching the sport that we're leading with this instead of uh, all the things we're excited about in the last month of the regular season. So let's go to our last month of the regular season wish list. These are things that whether statistical markers, events, uh, things that we're looking forward to that could happen uh, in the final month of the regular season, which we are in. The regular season ends one month from today. Uh, so we've each prepared a list of things and we'll just sort of go informally around the horn uh, addressing each of these topics in turn. So do we just want to start with the Otani things? Is, is that <laughs> just get that out of the way up front? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Zach. Uh, so I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that my favorite brand of Otani fun fact is the fun fact that either focuses exclusively on his hitting or exclusively on his pitching. And then you can kind of throw in as a parenthetical. Oh, yeah. And he's also one of the best in the, the world at doing the other thing, too. Uh, so my wish list item number one is that Otani ends up with the first 50 homer 25 uh, steal season in MLB history. There have been players who have come close. Alex Rodriguez, uh, Larry Walker, Willie Mays, but nobody has ever reached 50 and 25 in the same season. Otani right now is on pace for 51 homers and 27 steals. So his home run pace has definitely slowed. He only hit five in August, his lowest in any month, yet he still leads the majors. And on his broader season-long pace, he is still on pace to reach 50. He did steal seven bases in August, his most in any month. So I'm no longer as concerned that he will reach 25 steals, uh, but he needs eight more home runs and three more steals to reach this milestone. Yeah, so I'm rooting hard for that too. Zach sort of unearthed that fun fact or, or popularized it at least. And I hope that that happens. And if it does happen, then there's a pretty good chance that something else that I'm rooting for will happen, which is Otani leading anyone else in the majors by a big margin in baseball reference war. So as we record on Friday, he is leading MLB by 1.7 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference, over Zach Wheeler and Robbie Ray. And that's just a, a function of, well, partly how baseball reference calculates war and pitcher war in particular. But also, he's just had a ton of playing time in that he is pitching regularly. He is actually pitching today, tonight, as we speak. And he is basically playing every game as a DH, at least. He, unlike a lot of the other players who would be threats to lead the league in war or post high war values, has not really missed any time with injuries. He's had a few nagging issues here and there. But when you have the Trouts and the Acunas and even Tatis, say, guys like that who are missing significant amounts of time, it really kind of clears the lane for Otani to run up a big gap here. So as of like a week ago or so, he was at 2.3 or 2.4 war higher than anyone else. And he's been slumping offensively of late, as Zach mentioned. But already, this would be the biggest gap between a first and second place baseball reference war finisher since 2012, when Mike Trout led Robinson Cano, actually, by 2.1 war. If he gets to 2.2 war over the next highest guy, that would be the biggest gap in the 30-team era since 1998, which is surprising, right? I mean, you would think that peak bonds would have led the field by some by that amount at some point, but he didn't. Even when he was at his high, there was someone within a win or a win and a half of him. And really, like if he pushes it to, you know, 2.3 war was the margin between Roger Clemens and Larry Walker in 1997. If he could get to that or higher than that, no one has led the second place player by more than 2.3 war since Doc Gooden in 1985, who topped Ricky Henderson by 3.4. So even as it is, this would be unusual for someone to lead the league by that much, but he is pretty close to having a, a somewhat historic significant margin in this hyper-competitive era where the league as a whole and the caliber of play is really high, and so it's tough for even the best players to separate themselves from the second best players. You Are you still trying to reverse Jinx's MVP case by soft-pedaling it, or, <laughs> or, or have you just acknowledged the truth? 
Well, I I know who I would vote for. I will not be voting (laughs) this year, so I can say that out loud. But yeah, I mean, he has not been his best self offensively of late. He's been really better as a pitcher than as a hitter in the second half. But I'm hoping that he will have a, a second wind here or a third or fourth wind or wherever he is by now. But maybe it's fatigue. I don't know. Maybe it's other bad habits creeping in. Maybe it's the fact that the Angels just haven't had any good hitters and he's trying to adjust to not seeing a lot of pitches to hit. But obviously, he has uh, continued to be a productive player, just not to the extent he was in like June where he was setting the world on fire. But he doesn't have to be quite at that level to get yeah. to 50 or to have these war margins. He just has to have a, a good Otani month. Yeah, eight dingers in a month is not nothing, but it's definitely doable. Yeah. Um, this is one of this sort of leads into one of my wish lists, which seems positively petty by comparison, but there's been a lot of really good power speed seasons. Uh I'm just looking at the Fangraphs leaderboard, and six of the top 30 players in home runs are also in double digits and stolen bases, including Otani and Tatis, Jose Ramirez, Bryce Harper, uh Javi Baez of all people. And there are a couple others within a a steal or two of breaking into double digits. But one guy I've got my eyes on and seems like very few people do is Cedric Mullins, who's within spitting distance of a 30-30 season right now. Uh, 24 home runs, 25 stolen bases. Uh, He's had a huge breakout season in Baltimore this year. Uh, And this is 30-30 is is a milestone that I cared a lot about when I was a kid, like just getting into baseball. I thought it really illustrated what what it took to be a great all-around player and a lot of like the big historical players that uh that I was really fond of at the time tended to both hit a, a lot of home runs and steal a lot of bases and I think uh getting to that uh to that threshold for Mullins in a pretty crappy year for the Orioles overall would be would be nice to see this episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Well, while we're on the subject of power speed seasons, you mentioned Tatis, right? And that's one of the things I'm most hoping will happen this month, which is Tatis leading the NL in both home runs and stolen bases. I don't know if it's likely to happen, but it is certainly conceivable. He is uh, up six home runs on the next closest guy, so he's got a sizable lead there. He trails Trey Turner by two stolen bases. And if he could do that, I mean, this is something that hasn't happened in close to a century, right? It's uh, Chuck Klein did this in 1932 with 38 homers and 20 stolen paces. And it has happened only two other times in the quote-unquote modern era, but not very modern. Ty One of those Cobb. was, yeah, Ty <laughs> yeah. Cobb's nine homer season. <laughs> yeah, Ty Cobb in 1909. He actually, I think, led the majors in both of those categories. And Jimmy Sheckard in 1903. So this has happened three times 
and not since 1932. So it'd be pretty special if it happened this season. And, you know, you never know, like, if guys will keep running after a certain point. As you said, it's great when you have power speed guys, but so often you have players who start out as power speed guys and then morph into power guys, pretty much kind of the Mike Trout career progression. And so you can't count on someone like Acuna or Tatis keeping up that stolen base pace, especially as they're dealing with injuries and who knows how that affects things. And at a certain point, it's just like, if you're good enough, if you're such a good power hitter, then the cost benefit just doesn't really favor trying to steal a lot of bases because there's injury risk there. And if you hurt yourself and you miss some games, it's just not worth it ultimately. So while Tatis is this model of player, while he is healthy, at least as we speak, I would love for him to make a real run at this thing. I said this on Twitter the other night, but I, as much as I understand the logic behind not stealing that many bases that you don't want to uh, Trey Turner specifically, like if he's hitting him what he was with Washington, if he's hitting in front of Juan Soto, you don't want to open up first base and, and so on the injury risk and the risk of getting thrown out. But I think fast guys owe it to us to run a lot. Like, they owe it to slow guys to steal a lot of bases. As a slow guy myself, I, I resent fast guys who don't take a, a full advantage of their gift. Uh, so that's something that I mean, I brought this up because to appreciate the season Otani's having because he's running a lot and it's not a particularly high percentage play for him, but he's doing it anyway. And Tatis and, and Ramirez and other guys like that, I really appreciate them uh, using their gifts to their fullest extent. Yeah, I've heard Joe Madden say that he has to discourage Otani from running or he'd be running all the time. Like they don't really want him to be running. Imagine on- discouraging <laughs> Otani from doing anything. Yeah, I mean, I gotta, like, I gotta give them credit for, you know, pretty much removing the restrictions from him and just letting him do whatever he can. But, you know, they have uh, suggested that maybe at least on days he's pitching, for instance, perhaps he should not be winning himself by trying to steal bases. But yeah, even so, he is uh, running a pretty fair amount, which has been fun to see. All right, Zach, you've been out of the rotation for a bit. What do you got? So uh, if we can move on to more team wish lists, uh, my number one team wish list is a Dodgers-Giants division tiebreak game. It's kind of a bummer that this weekend brings the last series between the two teams this year. They don't play at all in the final 25 games, and it is so even. They're obviously tied in the standings right now. The season series is tied 8-8. to The season series is tied 68-68. to It runs. These two teams have just been so even, and they are, of course, great historical rivals, and it would just be a lot of fun to have them go in a divisional playoff and the loser would get the first wild card. We haven't had a, a playing game in a couple of years. There was the double decker in the national league in 2018. But before that you have to go all the way back to 2013. And those are just so much fun, like an extra wild card game because of the stakes involved. And if you just add in the quality of the teams and the, the animosity between the teams and the quality of the starting pitching that game would bring, uh, I really am hoping that the Dodgers and giants finish the season tied. I mean, one of the most famous moments in baseball history was in a Dodgers-Giants tiebreaker. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about the the Giants watering the infield to slow Mari Wills down in 1962. <laughs> um, yeah, I would love that. I think the winner takes all stakes of, of baseball. It's it's almost a perversion of this very high volume sport that uh, that we analyze. But every inning is tense when one game can send uh, can send one team home. So I think that's an absolutely perfect thing to root for i i mean having public humiliation on the line perhaps maybe i'd rather the tiebreaker happen in a different division i'd rather the giants just win the nl west outright but uh, i think from a neutral perspective i uh, i definitely see where you're coming from yeah, I was going to say that that would probably be the most exciting tiebreaker scenario, but there are others. So one of my hopes is that we just get some ties somewhere. I'm not one of the people who tends to get all that invested in like team entropy scenarios where you have five-way tiebreakers or whatever, because it never happens and it's always just a recipe for disappointment. But even if we don't get a Giants-Dodgers tie, we could definitely get a tie in one of the wild card races, you know, for that second spot. Maybe you get a Padres-Reds tie or something like that, that'd be a lot of fun too. So we have enough potentially close races that I'm crossing my fingers for at least one tie somewhere and some sort of tiebreaker game. I like that even on something we're explicitly casting as a wish list, Ben is still saying, ah, that's too unrealistic. I can't wish for that. 
try to be realistic with my wishes. Okay. Um, so I know we were just talking about how great stolen bases are. I'm rooting for Carlos Correa not to steal a base. Uh, this is just something I unearthed. He is currently having the best season ever by a shortstop who has not attempted a stolen base. Uh, he, the previous wow. winner was J.J. Hardy in 2011, uh, who had 4.1 baseball reference war and 30 home runs, pl- obviously played excellent defense, he being J.J. Hardy, but did not attempt to steal a base. Correa is closing in on six, uh, so that would blow that mark out of the water. The all-time record for shortstop, single-season shortstop war with zero stolen bases is Cal Ripken Jr. in his MVP season in 2003. That was an eight-win season, but he attempted four stolen bases and was thrown out every single time uh, because Cal Ripken Jr. was slow. So I'm... Just as a a statistical oddity, it would would be fun to see Carlos Correa, uh, who can be an aggressive base runner when he wants to be, uh, continue to to go station to station this season. Do you mean 1983, not 2003? Did I say 2003? Yeah. Oh. Well, obviously, I meant 1983 with Cal Ripken Jr.'s MVP season because uh, he had been retired for some time by 2003. Um, what, what's going on with there with Correa? Is this just like a combination of him not wanting to get hurt before free agency and the Astros not wanting anyone to steal bases? They can be pretty conservative anyway as a team. And Correa's not that fast. Like, I think everybody just assumes because he's a shortstop, he runs well. And it's just not, I guess it's just not a percentage play for him. Correa had 27 stolen bases in his first two seasons. He has six combined in the last five seasons. So yeah, he doesn't. He hasn't been caught since 2017, but he's also <laughs> he's also only attempted four steals since then, which is like well, well, he than, has been caught for other things since 2017. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's kind of funny. There there must be some sort of like extreme effect where Correa, even though he doesn't run much, he looks fast, so teams might pay better attention to him as opposed to like late career Pujols or like David Ortiz stole four bases in a season at age 37, where at some point you're so slow that you can steal bases again, but Correa still has the reputation perhaps that uh, teams pay attention and he can't go. Well, while we're talking about rooting for players not to do things, I have one of those on my wish list too, which is I'm rooting for Max Scherzer not to reach base as a hitter Mm -hmm. because he is uh, currently in historic territory. He has come to the plate 50 times this season and he has not reached base. And that would be a record for a single season. He just went ahead of Wei-Yin Chen, who batted 49 times for the 2016 Marlins without reaching base. This is not including reaching on error or fielder's choice. So if he does not reach base for the rest of the season, it will be the most on baseless season ever. And actually, it goes back a little further for him because if you count multiple seasons, he has not reached base in 54 plate appearances or 60 if you include the postseason. But if you do multiple season streaks, then there are some other longer ones. And he can't catch up with the longest at batless season, which is Bob Buell in 1962 went 0 for 70, but he drew six walks and was hit by a pitch that year. So he did reach base. And I think this would just be appropriate in what will probably be the last season of pitcher hitting. I think we should go out on top with the most spectacularly inept offensive season ever, at least from one perspective. Scherzer, like he hasn't actually been a bad hitter by pitcher standards over the course of his career but it's been a lousy season and it just goes to show how little that matters or is valued in the grand scheme of things. Cause you know, he's the big deadline target. He's the the big ace. Everyone's excited to get, even though he is not reaching base for the entire season. It's just an afterthought. A lot of people are probably not even aware that that is happening because it just doesn't matter. It's a footnote if you're a great pitcher, but it's a fun footnote. I think I'm changing all of my wishlist items to just, uh, not getting rid of the pitcher hitting next year. Does that count? Yeah. <laughs> Just despite Ben. Let's break into CBA negotiations and and <laughs> throw it on. You know, we'll give you the the lowered luxury tax ceiling if if you get rid of the DH. Um all right. One statistical achievement, I guess. So I've been skeptical of FIP as like a thing on this podcast, but we're on the verge of of my big hairy boy, Cor- Corbin Burns, doing something that hasn't been done in several years. 
His FIP right now is 1.58. So he has a 1.9, or sorry, he has a 2.27 ERA. And according to fan graphs, he is underperforming his peripherals. So his FIP of 1.58 is preposterous. Uh, but to put that in historical context, if he gets that under 1.5 and qualifies for the ERA title, he would be the first pitcher to do that since Ben. You want to guess? Uh, is it? Hmm. I was going to say, well, no, that can't be right. Mm, how many innings are we talking here? Uh, 160. Qualified? Qualified. Yeah, qualified. Yeah. Uh, is, it's not DeGrom, I guess. Yeah, I know the answer because I wrote this in an article yesterday. Okay. <laughs> so don't ask. Oh, it's uh, he would have the second best FIP ever besides Pedro 99 uh, since the live ball era. It's in the live ball era, exactly. Yeah. So a National League started. There are a couple... Uh, Negro League starters who managed it, including Satchel Page in 1945. But a National League starter hasn't done it since Christy Mathewson in 1908, <laughs> like literally Christy Mathewson. Yeah. So I just think you throw everything out the window when Christy Math when when s- the phrase since Christy Mathewson is in play, all other concerns are secondary to me. Another player adjacent one that I want to throw out because this has now turned into a bit for me among this group is that I want uh, Shane well, we Boz to it. debut. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I want him to debut and pitch in a playoff game. I had a piece up today on the website about the Tampa Bay Rays and found that only two teams have ever had three rookies make a playoff start before. That's the 2012 Oakland athletics and the 1937 Kansas city monarchs. But if Shane Boz comes up, the Rays have a really good chance to equal that with McClanahan and Patino and Shane Boz. And I think Boz like could be the best of those based on how well he has pitched in the minors this year. He has a 38% strikeout rate of 4% walk rate. And even though he hasn't debuted and there hasn't really been an indication of whether Tampa's going to call him up, they have a chance to win the world series. And I think it's an all hands on deck situation whenever you have that opportunity. So Tampa should give him a shot and let him throw in the playoffs as i talked about on this podcast a couple weeks ago to much merriment from my co-hosts doesn't start the service time clock if it's in the playoffs so (laughs) i have one on my wish list that is also about a potential pitcher promotion i'm hoping that hunter hunter green will throw the fastest pitch thrown in the majors this season which is within reach if he were to be promoted so aroldis chapman threw a pitch 103.4 miles per hour this season Jordan Hicks has the NL high at 103.2. And if Green is promoted, which is still not clear whether he will be, but if he is, I think he would probably blow by them because uh, he has been clocked at 104, 105 in the minors. He hit 104.3 in his AAA debut a couple months ago. And if the Reds call him up, it would potentially be out of the bullpen as well. And one imagines he would be throwing even harder than he does as a starter there. So, I mean, they could use him potentially like he could be a a potential playoff weapon, too, or even just rotation strength. He has not been great at AAA. He's been fine. His peripherals are pretty good. He's been sort of homer prone and maybe they will just not elevate him. But if it really comes down to it and they're still battling for that wild card spot, then he could actually be a, a potential addition there and could displace everyone else on the 2021 velocity leaderboard. I kind of love the idea of like in a playoff scenario, Wade Miley starting and then Hunter Green relieving him <laughs> and having a 15 yes. mile an hour velocity oh, difference. Yeah. We talk about giving different looks out of the bullpen. I yeah. struggle to think of a better example of different looks than Wade Miley <laughs> to Hunter Green. Yeah. All right. I'm going to chime in with my own promotion list on what's becoming a surprisingly Oriole heavy segment for me. Uh, there's a pair of, of Norfolk Tides who I would like to see get. I don't even know if it counts as a full level's worth of promotion going up to Baltimore. Uh, one of them, obviously, is Adley Rutschman, who I mentioned before. Uh, just a stupid good prospect. Currently posting at 429 OBP in AAA. Uh, he'd probably be the second best position player on the Orioles right now if they they called him up, if they cared about such things. But the, the Orioles... I'm going to use the phrase Orioles and pitching prospect in the same sentence, which uh, might sound a little weird to those of you listening, but the Orioles have a a guy who was promoted to AAA about a month ago, and in six starts, he has held opponents to a 194 batting average. Um, 
and he's he's pitched incredibly well. He has a two ERA in AAA, and that of course is my namesake, my beloved son, uh, the pride of Jacksonville University, Big Mike Bauman. <laughs> we need to see him in the majors this year. Yeah, I think it's admirable that you are rooting for him so hard, even though once he makes the majors, he will be the best known Michael Bauman and, and will displace you on all Google searches. And I know you already get tweets that are directed at big Mike Bauman, right? So yeah. you can expect even more of those. Instagram in Instagram thinks that that I'm one of the Orioles' top 10 prospects. Uh, so <laughs> Amet. Imagine, think about how many tweets you get and imagine how many tweets I get from Seattle football fans <laughs> thinking that I'm Bobby Wagner, I mean, middle line, best middle linebacker in the NFL I think I've from what I hear on Twitter. Seattle, uh, Seattle uh, middle linebacker, Bobby Wagner. So, Well, I have to get to practice, so wrap this up. All right. <laughs> I've got uh, one. Yeah, I've got oh, one sure. more too. Okay, I've got a couple. I would love to see Mike Trout and Jacob deGrom back in the big leagues at some point this season. And we're getting to the point now where it's pretty tenuous. I mean, once you get into mid-late September and you have two teams, probably, sorry, Bobby, but at least one that will not be playing meaningful games at that point, then there's a temptation to just shut them down. And Joe Madden conceded earlier this week that there is a possibility that Trout could just be shut down, which is kind of incredible given that the initial timeline for his calf injury was given as six to eight weeks, which was obviously wildly. get over this. Like no, the... I can't. It's a calf. It should not be a season-ending injury after 36 <laughs> games of this season. It's so strange. But every time he runs, he seems to feel soreness afterward. And I'd love for him just to get back on the field and get back in the swing of things just to see him again before it's all said and done. And DeGrom, I guess the chances are maybe a little bit better. At least the most recent update we heard was that he had a clean MRI and that they're hoping he could be back in the second half of this month. And so we'll see. And it's not as if him coming back would assuage all concerns for 2022 either, because this has been a lingering issue and he's had all sorts of nagging injuries and you just have to worry about anyone who throws that hard. But just to see those guys, DeGrom was obviously one of the biggest stories of the first half of the season. Trout was off to the best start of his career yet again. So just, you know, as a coda to what has been a fun season in a lot of respects, it would be good to have those guys back in uniform again or back on the field at least. Zach, do you have any more? There's got to be some sort of golden calf joke with Trout, the golden boy. The joke I was going to make is he's so big and has so many muscles. It's not a calf. It's more like a steer. And that's why it's taking so long. <laughs> yeah. I'm almost certain you've made that exact joke when he got hurt. Okay. Like verbatim. Well, play the hits. <laughs> yeah. Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Time is a flat circle. The, the last item on my list, uh, Ben, don't listen because it's a team entropy scenario. My wish every single year, we can just take this segment and play it every September for the rest of as long as baseball lasts. I want a three-team tie, a scenario in which three teams all end up with the same record and have to play multiple tiebreaker games, and you get an option. You can either choose to, for one of the teams, you can either play two road games, and all you have to do is win one to make the playoffs, or you get to just host one home game, but you have to win that home game, and you're in. And there have been scenarios close enough in the past that teams have actually selected which of those options they wanted, but then the three-team tie didn't end up happening. I think 2016 might have been the last one with the Orioles and Blue Jays eventually playing in the wildcard game. The Tigers were also involved but didn't end up tied. I want that this year. There is a possibility it could happen. In the second wildcard, for instance, the Reds and the Padres are scuffling. So now the Phillies and Cardinals are only one loss each behind the Reds and Padres. We could imagine this end up with two National League East playoff teams. It's possible. Uh, we could also end up with a three-team tie in the American League wildcard standings with Boston, New York, and Oakland. I want this. As Ben says, these never happen, even if you get excited about them until the final week of the season. But it's a wish list, and I can wish for this. Every single year, I want this kind of chaos. Ben, I think I'm with you on the team entropy thing now. I think I think Zach has converted me away from my previous position. Are you telling me like if three teams are within it a game of each great, other with three but, games left? But you're wishing for this, and you said okay, and and you said Phillies in wild card, and I'm just like <laughs> okay, this is because you said three team tie, and I I pulled up the stands like where is he seeing this? Like this is I don't know where uh, where this is going to happen, but. Okay. 
If it happens, I'm telling we'll talk you, about it. the Phillies and Cardinals are now just one loss behind the Reds and Padres. I've been looking at like the playoff odds, and all of a sudden, the Reds and Padres playoff odds don't add up to anywhere near 100%. And I was investigating, why is that? And realized, hey, the Phillies have won six in a row, and they have a chance at this now. Yeah, but they have to play teams other than Washington for the rest of the season. We'll see if if that streak uh, continues. My- that game yesterday was a sham. A sham. It's how bad Washington does your mojo six have run to be? Lead. How bad does your mojo have to be to blow? I think it's six separate games to the Phillies after leading by three or more runs. I think I have that that stat right, which is what the Nats have done this year. It's brutal, man. Well, here's hoping they rebuild quickly. All right, my last one. We've talked a lot about the big Yankees. We've talked about the beefy boys, the beef squad, uh, Judge Joey, Executioner, all that, the goal line package. They have not, uh, near as I could tell looking at, at box scores, they have not rolled out the heaviest possible lineup they can roll out. So that's Gallo and right, Judge and center, Stanton and left, Void at DH, Rizzo at first, LeMahieu at second. Uh, Sanchez at catcher, Torres at shortstop, Urshela at third, Clay Holmes on the mound. They haven't put those 10 players together who between them weigh 2,387 pounds, uh, which is, I would have expected just that amount of beef to be more than one adult American bison, but it's not. Bison are incredibly heavy, uh, as heavy as the entire Yankees lineup put together. So I want that collection of 10 players to share the field at some point between now and October 3rd. Yeah, that'd be great. Even, I mean, take the pitcher out of it just to have the heaviest lineup of all time would be great. And Glaber's back, right? Or about to be back. He's, so yeah, if he's not back, play. Now, we'll be soon. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. I mean, I I kind of wanted them to, to go pick up another heavier a corner outfielder off the waiver wire because they're not maximizing this because they could theoretically put Gallo at third and have another have another bruiser out there. <laughs> you know, it's obviously too late to to trade for like Fran Reyes or something, but uh, they could max this out even more. And I think that's something that Brian Cashman should take a serious look at for next season. See if they can break the twenty five hundred pound uh, barrier with a ten person lineup. Saying put Gallo at third is like a couple of years ago in the World Series when we were advocating that the Red Sox play Betts at second. Well, <laughs> yes, guess where Mookie Betts has done. played this season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's done it. <laughs> he made a nice catch there. All right. I will do a notebook dump here. Just my, my last few quickly. I did a rooting for a player not to reach base. So I will do a rooting for a player to reach base. That's Wander Franco, who, of course, has this 33 game on base streak now. And that tied a, a very long one by Mel Ott and a very long one by Archie Vaughn for the longest uh, streaks for a, a player under age 21. He now has only two ahead of him, and that's Mickey Mantle, who reached base in 36 straight games in 1952, and Frank Robinson, who reached base in 43 straight games in 1956. So it has been a very, very long time since anyone this young reached base this often, and that's kind of going to be Wander's signature skill is that he puts the ball in play and he gets on base and he has a great eye and he is showing that already. And if he does this, then he might actually make a run at the rookie of the year. I mean, he probably won't have the counting stats or the war that some other guys do who've been up all season, but he would have the the narrative value. And if you're voting for who you think the best rookie is, as opposed to maybe the most valuable rookie season, he'd have a really strong case. So I, That's I hope a, that we see pretty- that pretty good list of players to be on we love an Archie Vaughn fun fact (laughs) they're all hall of famers so yeah pretty good I'd like there to be one more no hitter and I'm not a no hitter person really but we've come this far we might as well get one more because currently we've had eight official no hitters which is tied with 1884 if you count 1884 when the pitching distance wasn't even 60 feet six inches But really, this has been like the year of no hitters. No hitters have often dominated the conversation. We might as well just push it across the finish line. If you don't count the two that we've had in seven inning games, the Bumgarner one and the combined one, then we're still at eight. So let's just get to nine and just make it official. I thought then I thought the Padres had it, that Blake Snell start, but Yeah. (laughs) Right. And my last one, which uh, I guess kind of goes against my wish for one more no-hitter, is that we will finally snap the MLP streak of increasing strikeout rates. 
We're up to 15 consecutive seasons now with an increasing strikeout rate, but we might actually snap the streak this year. It's going to come down to the wire, but I think it might actually happen. So as we speak, the average strikeout rate in in MLB this year, 23.44% of plate appearances. Last year, it was 23.39% of plate appearances. So we're almost there. Very close, despite the fact that pitchers are hitting again this year. And I know I make you mad whenever I bring that up. But when we're talking about going out to like multiple decimal places here, it does actually matter that pitchers are hitting this year and not last year. But even so, we might get a decrease in large part thanks to the sticky stuff crackdown, which has helped cut down strikeout rates last time I checked by about a percentage point or so. So that bodes well for continuing to have a lower strikeout rate over the next month and actually getting below last year. I mean, it goes back to like, what, 2006 at this point? We've had an increasing strikeout rate. longer than that. I think it might be. Every single season. Well, I know it's 15 consecutive increases. So whatever that first year was. So really, this is a long, long time. And obviously, it's not going to like move things back to where they were 10 or 20 years ago. But just to arrest the increase for a single season would be kind of a victory. So I'm hoping it happens. 2006 was 15 years ago. Just yep. put me in the ground. <laughs> All right. That's kind of a downer note to end on, although it would be exciting to see that streak finally broken. Uh, but let's go, uh, since this is crunch time, let's go to the unnamed weekend preview segment. Zach, there's an obvious one on the board here. Do you want to claim that or do you want to go with the hipster pick? I already talked about wanting to see a Dodgers uh, Giants tiebreak game. So I will leave this weekend's Dodgers Giants series to someone else. And I will claim not Astros Padres, actually. I will claim uh, Cardinals Brewers. As I mentioned, the Cardinals are now somehow back in the race and they play the Brewers three more series just uh, in September alone. So they don't have an easy schedule, but if they can win two of three this weekend, then they're still right in it. Adam Wainwright versus Freddie Peralta, I think, is the headliner on Friday night. Adam Wainwright has been awesome this year. Uh, and Freddie Peralta has obviously been awesome as well. Corbin Burns goes on Sunday, aiming to lower his FIP even further. So Cardinals Brewers, because I want to see if the Cardinals can, uh, along with the Phillies, make this more than a two-team race for the last wildcard spot. Good stuff. Ben, how about you? Well, I'll go with the obvious one, because come on, who is going to be watching any other games? (laughs) I mean, okay, I'll be watching Otani trying to pad his war lead against the Rangers on Friday, but no neutral fan really should be watching any game or any series this weekend other than Giants-Dodgers. This is just the best. I mean, as we said earlier, yeah, it would be better if this were like the last weekend of the series or something, uh, of the season or something, but this is pretty great. And they are tied, I mean, identical 85 and 49 records. They're tied for the best record in the West. They're tied for the best record in baseball. This is the first time since 1997 that these two teams have been tied at any point in September, which is pretty great. And it's more even than that. The season series between these two teams is eight and eight. The run total in their matchups this season is 68 and 68. I mean, it's kind of incredible. It's almost a shame that someone has to move ahead in those categories by the end of this weekend. And, and it won't decide the NL West. I mean, if someone sweeps, then it would go a long way toward it. But someone will emerge with the better record on the season and in the season series. And I'm very excited to see who it will be. I mean, this has just been such a fun race. Like coming into the year, we thought this would be a fun race, but we thought it would be Dodgers Padres. And instead, it has been Dodgers Giants. And it's just been as much fun as we all hoped it would be. So I hope that fun continues this weekend. All right. I'm going to. Pick another series. I guess Ben's right. This is more of a scoreboard to watch. I guess on Sunday, it doesn't quite conflict time-wise, uh, but I'll pick the Astros and <clears throat> and the Padres. This could determine or go a long way toward determining not one, but two different playoff races because the Padres are just now getting back into the Anna wildcard hunt. The Astros, also, if they win the series or sweep, could really put the AL West to bed because uh, Oakland's just hanging on to to the back end of that. And they've got a really tough series against Toronto, not just because of Toronto's lineup, but because Toronto's lined up Manoa, Barrios, and Robbie Ray. So they're going to have their work cut out for them uh, this weekend. And the, if the Astros win the series and the A's struggle... That's probably Cyanar for the A's as a divisional contender. So I think there's a lot at stake in this one, but 
just in terms of, of head to head and the certainly the sexiest matchup is Dodgers and Giants. So all right. That will do it for this week's episode of the Ringer MLB show. Be sure to follow us on Spotify where you can find new episodes of our show every Friday, new episodes of Baseball Barbecue every Tuesday. Uh, Thanks, as always, for joining me, Zach and Ben. Uh, Thanks to Bobby Wagner and Mike Wargon for producing today's episode. Thanks to Nuke Lelouch, Shohei Otani, and Hunter Green for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.